Um, uh, we've been in a series called Fruitful Disciple. Most of y'all know this. Um, if you've missed some, um, we, our pastor has a podcast. Please listen to it. It's great. Uh, Light Steps Live. Uh, also, all the sermons are recorded. Um, ask myself or Ori. They're actually on Ori's Google Drive, so you can listen that way. Um, just to review a couple of things uh, that we've gone over so far. Um, some of the key words that we've gone over, we started with relationship. Uh, next was Christ-likeness. Um, Brett taught on being an ambassador for Christ. And Steve, last week, um, spoke about suffer and our, how, how God has called us, calls us to suffer. Uh, today, um, we, um, we look at a word uh, called spent. That's a hot mic. <laughs> okay. Um, we look at the word spent and how God is looking to spend us. Uh, being a fruitful ambassador who lives as a... Being a fruitful disciple who lives as a suffering ambassador is about letting God spend us. Um, the scripture today is laced with politics, a political trap, hatred, two enemies coming together with a common foe. And one authority figure who has the answers to everything, has all the answers to life and knows something about being spent. Are you intrigued? <laughs> um, the scripture today that we start off with is from Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 15 through 22. Before we do that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, you are good, and we, it is good just to stand before you, our good and great King. May, we, uh, may our hearts be open to you today, may our, our ears be tuned in, and Lord, we're just uh, ready to receive what you're ready to teach. Um, God, teach us what it means to be spent. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Katie, uh, Katie is, does a, always a great job, by the way, of flipping slides. Yep, so just kudos to her. Uh, sorry, so Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Scripture reads like this. Uh, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And he sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay ta taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription uh, is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Um, in this part of Matthew, we're getting closer to the cross. Uh, we see a political scene not, not too dissimilar to what we see today. Someone trying to trap somebody else in their words or their deeds. Uh, the, the, yeah, the Pharisees and the Herodians together seeking to trap Jesus. Uh, verse 15 is clear that their motive was to entangle them, to, and to entangle Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians were not friends, y'all. They were two, two polar opposites. Uh, the Pharisees being the religious leaders, the Herodians being the pseudo-authority figures left in the region by the Roman government. Um, but they had a common goal, and that was to trap Jesus. Um, we see the Pharisees, this religious group of people, who would love nothing more 
then Caesar revolted against and their religious authority or their religious power uh, enforced. They wanted the tax to be done away with, uh, with the, and in fact wanted their pockets lined with the temple tax. Um, we see more of a secular-minded group of people, the, the, the Herodians, uh, who would love to, uh, to continue having their pockets lined by, by the government tax um, and to maintain their authority. They were in favor of this tax. Both groups were power-hungry and money-hungry. I'd like to get uh, through points one and two kind of quickly. Uh, I want us to look at one word in verse 16, and this, uh, this may seem like a duh, that kind of thing. Uh, this whole series is, is about being a fruitful disciple. Um, but that word is disciple. If you look in verse 16, uh, the Pharisees uh, sent their disciples uh, to question Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees had disciples too. Uh, this is not, the word disciple is not a word that is exclusive to Christianity or a word that is exclusive to following Jesus. Uh, the, these people were followers and students of Jesus. And I think it's often important in our politically charged climate to also recognize this. It's point number one. Uh, point number one, Katie, she got it. Is a fruitful disciple, is a fruitful disciple of Jesus recognizes who he is studying and following. A fruitful disciple lets his ideals be shaped by the king. Um, a secular-minded person might look at Jesus' response in verse 21 uh, and think that he's playing both sides. Uh, but we are not secular-minded people, right? Uh, I think, I, yeah, I put a few scripture up on the, on the uh, screen back here to, just to let this sink in. We are not secular-minded people. Let's not, think we, let's not think like the world does. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Matthew 6, 33, Philippians chapter 2, uh, Peter's, Peter and Jesus' interaction in, in Matthew chapter 16. So a couple of questions along the lines of that. Uh, who, who are you hitching your wagon to? Who are you allowing to shape your ideals? Uh, who are you a disciple of? Uh, Jesus is saying, come follow me. Um, uh, point number two is a fruitful disciple learns to honor the ruling authorities or the earthly authorities and the authority God. Uh, we learn to honor the little lords and the Lord. Um, we can, uh, we can look at Jesus' response in verse 21 and see him honoring the governing, governing authority as, as we should as Christians, as followers of him, and honoring the maker, uh, the author of true and true religion. Jesus is saying, honor your government by paying taxes. Everybody's happy about that, right? <laughs> and, uh, and he's also saying, honor God. Uh, by giving to him what belongs to him. Now, we'll get, we'll get more into that here shortly. This principle of honoring the ruling authorities doesn't just apply to our government. I think we can apply this also to employees and employers, children to parents. Um, we can make this lesson about honoring our government, uh, being a good citizen and paying taxes. Um, we all know we should pay our taxes, right? Everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Tax season's upon us, yeah. Uh, Warren Wiersbe states that the best citizen honors his country because he worships God. I think that says it pretty, pretty plainly. Uh, while this part of Jesus' point in verse 22, while this was part of his point in verse 22, ultimately it was not the main point of what he was trying to say, what he was trying to convey uh, to the Pharisees. 
Um, so let's move on from point number two and we um, get on with what the title is, is about. It's about being spent. Um, when, when, you, when we spend something, we expect something in return, right? If I spend a quarter on a gumball, I expect to get a gumball right out of the gumball machine, right? Uh, if I, in spending, I give up something in order to gain something else. Um, we let go of one thing in order to receive another thing. One thing is lost, another is gained. Uh, you can talk, talk about this many different ways. Um, we often talk about spending time with someone, uh, perhaps our children or our parents or a coworker or what have you. The goal of that is to perhaps have a better relationship with those people. Um, we may spend time watching TV, perhaps to be entertained or maybe to be educated, depending on what you're watching. Um, we spend time at work. Everybody likes to eat, right? We spend, spend time at work so we can eat. We spend time at work so we can make money to spend, to spend it on other things. We spend money for all sorts of reasons. Uh, oftentimes frivolously, do we not? <laughs> um, so we can always expect when we spend something, uh, whether it's time or money, there's going to be a payoff. There's a payoff. There's also a cost. Uh, some of the words that define the word spend in the dictionary um, include to exhaust, to expend, to wear out, to give up, or to sacrifice. Uh, we see this language of currency and economics quite often in Scripture. And Paul writes that we were bought at a price, and that price being Jesus uh, laying down his life. Uh, so let's read um, verses 17 through 21 again. Uh, scripture reads, verse 17, Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And I think it's important for us to realize uh, part of the, the Pharisees' motives here, part of their questioning. And we, I don't think we can fully understand them, but I think we can get a part of it. The tax of Caesar was in direct competition to the temple tax. The temple tax was how their pockets were lined, um, and while the Herodians' pockets were lined by the government tax. Uh, the gist of what the, uh, the Pharisees were trying to say, and this is my paraphrase, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar with the temple tax perhaps having more importance? Um, moving on to verse 18. Um, but Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Uh, you notice in verse 19 that Jesus is the one who actually brought up the coin, not the Pharisees or the Herodians. Verse 20, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, and to God the things that are God's. Um, I have a slide. Yeah, there it is. This is a slide of what a denarius would have looked like. This particular coin is, has the image of Tiberius Caesar Augustus. He happened to be the, Ro the emperor of the Roman Empire during this period of time. Uh, this is likely what the coin may have looked like. Yeah. So Wikipedia is amazing. <laughs> um, that coin was nothing more than a tool in the hands of its creator, Caesar, uh, it, in the hands of the Roman government. It was Caesar's image on the coin. Uh, it was created by Caesar. It was stamped with his image, with his inscription written upon it. 
the coin via the tax is to do the bidding of the Roman government. It was spent and used by the Roman government to build their roads, their aqueducts, and yes, to line people's pockets. So you tell me any human government that has never misappropriated funds before. Really. You tell me if you've never misused your own funds before. Um, Jesus, and this is my paraphrase, says, you give to Caesar what belongs to him so that it can be used by him. That's his picture on it. That's his words. Now you give to God what belongs to God. Um, So there's a lot of implications in in Jesus' comments, and I think the question that we should be asking is what belongs to God. Um, The Pharisees would have known exactly what Jesus was getting at. Uh, If you look at that word likeness in verse 21, uh, we often see it translated as the word image. Um, the King James Version mentioned, it says it's translated into the, the word image. That's a Greek word. Um, it's, it's pronounced akon. Uh, this is certainly a word that the Pharisees would have understood. Um, when we heard the word image, when they heard the word image, they would have thought back to the garden. They would have thought back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. uh, Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so uh, if you ever read Ravi Zacharias, he asks a a great question uh, in his commentary of this particular set of scripture. Um, With Caesar on the image of the coin, Ravi asks, whose image is on you? Think about that for a minute. Whose image is on you? We are made in the image of God. Scripture tells us we are imago Dei. If, if, that's, if that seems foreign to you, that's just a fancy Latin word that the reformers came up with and, our, and us moderns use uh, to refer to the image of God, to remind us that we are made in his image. Uh, this should give us fresh understanding of how not to regard people according to the flesh that we read about in um, two weeks ago in, from 2 Corinthians. So in the context of this scripture, uh, I'm, this is not a dig on tithing or offering. We should, do, we should tithe and make our offerings. But in the context of this, Jesus' answer to the, um, to the Pharisees would have implied to them that the temple text is not important. People are. We are important to God. As a result of brokenness, uh, sin, and the marring of humanity, we, are, we as his followers realize that Christ has a desire to remake his image on us. This is his redemptive plan. Go back to that definition of spend, uh, to exhaust, to expend, to wear out, to give up, to sacrifice. Christ gave up himself for us. Christ spent all of his humanity. Christ exalted exhausted his humanity. Christ died on an old rugged cross and rose from the grave for this purpose, to bring life to our dead souls and to make us into his likeness, all as a means of bringing life to a dead and dying world. For God so loved the world that he gave, and so should we. Christ is the perfect picture of what it means to be spent by God Uh, This gets me to point number three and uh, leading up to point number four. Point number three, 
a fruitful disciple humbly recognizes that he is made in the image of God and that we belong to him. We recognize that we are Imago Dei. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we don't take this image bearing lightly and we can know that we are his children. This is our new identity, y'all, made in the image of Christ. Um, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.24, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We've answered the question of what belongs to God. It's really a who. Do you belong to God? Do you? The question that we have to ask now is how do we give to God what belongs to him? How do we give ourselves to God? Um, Clue in on verse 22 for a moment. And look at what the Pharisees did. They walked away. Do we walk away? Do we walk away like the Pharisees did? Uh, we're often hard on, on the Pharisees for their legalism, and they're wanting to trip and trap Jesus, but I think verse 22 should make us all weep. <clears throat> they had the king of glory right in front of them, y'all, and they walked away. They asked, uh, excuse me, they ask a question to trip up Jesus, and Scripture tells us that they marveled and they walked away. We know that they had malice uh, in their heart from verse 18. We know that they were angry at Jesus from him upturning the money changers in chapter 21. Uh, we know the intent of their questioning, but we don't get a full picture of their reaction other than that they marveled and they walked away. How many people are walking away from Jesus right now? How many people ask all the right questions or perhaps all the hard questions and they just walk away? They may walk away because of anger or they may walk away because they just can't process what Jesus is saying or maybe they don't want to. Don't walk away from Jesus, y'all. Run to him. He has pursued you with his life. So run to him. Christ, Christ gave up his life for you. Now give your life to him. If you have never considered giving your life to Jesus, consider it right now. But move past the point of consideration and do it. Give your life to him. Um, don't be like the Pharisees and just walk away. Point number four. A fruitful disciple freely offers himself to Jesus daily. We willingly offer ourselves to Jesus. Um, flip over to um, Psalm chapter 110 for a moment. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It should also be on your screen, yep. Um, Psalm 110, um, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments uh, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Jesus is king, everybody. He's here. He's king. He will make his enemies his footstool. The Pharisees in Matthew 22 were clear enemies of Jesus, and they were face to face with him. They received an amazing answer to their question, and they still did not bow before him as king. Apart from Christ, we are God's enemies. 
whether you see this or not or fully comprehend it, I'm not sure I do, Jesus is ruling in the midst of people who are bent away from him. Um, Jesus is here, and he is patiently waiting and ruling as he waits. Jesus, by way of the cross, by way of God the Father, spending God the Son, came here to conquer. He came here to conquer you and me. He came to win back what was once his and restamp his image on us. He doesn't want part of us. He wants all of us. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 110. The psalmist says that Jesus' people in the day of his power will freely offer themselves to him and robe themselves in him. This will happen. Are you one of those people? Are you freely offering yourself to him? Yes, Jesus is coming back in all of his might and all of his glory. But right now, today is the day, and every day is the day for us to offer ourselves to him. Jesus says in um, Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, the parallel account in Matthew 16.24 uh, Matthew 16, says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Uh, remember, there's a payoff. There's a payoff in spending something. There's always a gain in that payoff. That gain for giving our life to Jesus is life eternal with him. Uh, in losing our lives for Jesus, we find what it means to have true life. Every day is the day that we say, Lord, not my will but yours. Every day is the day that we say, like John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. Every day is the day we make ourselves living sacrifices. Point number five. As freely offered, as a freely offered, fully surrendered believer, a fruitful disciple can be joyfully spent by our Father for his good pleasure. A fruitful disciple who willingly offers himself to Jesus is ready to be spent by the Father for his, his and according to his good pleasure. Are you ready? Are you ready? Psalm 110, verses 1 through 3 again. Um, and I'm still trying to map, wrap my whole head around all of this. And I didn't really get this picture until I read Warren, Warren, Warren Wiersbe's excuse me, tongue twister, commentary. Uh, but Jesus is here to gather his people to him to himself. He's here to make us a people for his own possession, uh, a royal priesthood. Jesus is here to gather a priestly army. Uh, the language of Psalm 110 is the language of battle. It's the language of war. Uh, if you read Psalm 110 in the International Standard Version, that may be an obscure version for some of you, it reads like this. It says, Your soldiers are willing volunteers on your day of battle. In majestic holiness from the womb, from the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. We are that army, y'all. Jesus, by way of the cross, by way of God the Father, spending the humanity of God the Son, is here to conquer. In like manner, by way of God spending us, we are here to give hope to the world.
I know you've heard me say this before. We sing a song called uh, Rin Collect from Rin Collective sometimes. It says, build your kingdom here. There's a line in it that says, we are the church. We are the hope on earth. It took me a long time to really wrap my head around that. We are the body of Christ, y'all. We are the church. By letting God spend us, we provide hope to a lost and dying world. I see joy in this. I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you do. There's joy in this. God is enacting his redemptive plan in and through us. I still can't wrap my head around that. I'm still dumbfounded by that whole idea. Back to Genesis. I'll read Genesis 1, 20, 26 again. It says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. God blessed them. We are blessed people, y'all. <laughs> We're blessed people. And don't laugh. You're going to laugh. There's more to being fruitful and multiplying than just making babies. All right? That's what goes for you too, Brett. <laughs> being... Be, part of being an image bearer, part of being an image bearer of our king means being fruitful and being fruitful and multiplying worshipers of the king, uh, making more image bearers, making more fruitful disciples. Part of being an image bearer means being fruitful in every area of our lives, redeeming all of creation, bringing life to a dead and dying, bringing life to the dead and dying areas of our world. Uh, whether you're a mom or a dad raising children, whether you're a truck driver or an IT guy or a farmer or whatever your occupation, this is our cultural mandate that we have to cultivate the garden of this world uh, and to create an environment fit for image bearers, create an environment fit for the king. We are not inanimate objects to be whimsically spent and misused. Uh, as governments often misuse and spend, or as often as we misuse our own money. God is going to spend us exactly as he, as he sees fit. He, it will have a purpose. He will not misuse us or abuse us. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is not going to waste you. Uh, he values you, and guess what? He spends what he values. Um, we are his currency. Just like the coin is the currency of Caesar or the government spent to enact the will of the government, so we are the currency of God to enact his will. God is going to spend us, uh, he is going to spend us on, on something else that he values, lost people. Uh, God spends what he values, the redeemed, us, on what he values, the lost God spends what he values on what he values. Think about that. He is not wishing that any should perish. He values people so much that he gave his only begotten son. I don't want you to go away from here thinking that you need to do more or spend more for God. If you want to spend your time on doing anything, I want you to spend it at Jesus' feet. I want you to spend it in prayer. 
spend it in fellowship, spend it in the scriptures. The outflow of that will be God spending us. And uh, one final comment, and I've tried to work this in, tried to work this quote in, and I just I couldn't work it in, so I'm just going to put it at the end. It's a, it's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together. Yeah. It says, human love constructs its own image of the other person, or, uh, of what he is and what he should become. It takes the life of the other person into his own hands. Spiritual love recognizes the, tr- the true image of the other person, which he has received from Jesus Christ, the image that Jesus Christ himself embodied and would stamp upon all men. So my final call to everybody, embrace your calling. Embrace your call to be an image bearer. Let's pray. God, wow, you have redeemed us. You have stamped your image upon us. What a privilege. Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be, the people you call us to be. To be people that bear your image, Jesus, to a lost and dying world. And God, as we continue on our worship, we just pray that your name be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank <clears throat> you.